0: Chapter 21, Part One of A History of American Christianity by Leonard Wolsey Bacon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K Hand. Chapter Thirty One Part One The Church in Theology and Literature The Rapid Review of Three Crowded Centuries, which is all that the narrowly prescribed limits of this volume have permitted, has necessarily been mainly restricted to external facts but looking back over the course of visible events it is not impossible for acute minds devoted to such study to trace the stream of thought and sentiment that is sometimes hidden from direct view by the overgrowth which itself has nourished We have seen a profound spiritual change renewing the face of the land and leaving its indelible impress on successive generations springing from the profoundest contemplations of god and his work of salvation through jesus christ and then bringing back into thoughtful and teachable minds new questions to be solved and new discoveries of truth to be pondered the one school of theological opinion and inquiry that can be described as characteristically american is the theology of the great awakening The disciples of this school in all its divergent branches agree in looking back to the first Jonathan Edwards as the founder of it through its generations it has shown a striking sequence and continuity of intellectual and spiritual life each generation answering questions put to it by its predecessor while propounding new questions to the generation following after the classical writings of its first founders the most widely influential production of this school is the theology explained and defended in a series of sermons of president dwight this had the advantage over some other systems of having been preached and thus proved to be preachable the series of sermons was that delivered to successive generations of college students at yale at a time of prevailing scepticism when every statement of the college pulpit was liable to sharp and not too friendly scrutiny and it was preached with the fixed purpose of convincing and converting the young men who heard it the audience the occasion and the man a fervid Christian, and a born poet and orator, combined to produce a work of wide and enduring influence the dynasty of the edwardians is continued down to the middle of the nineteenth century and later through different lines ending in emmons of franklin taylor of new haven and finney of oberlin and is represented among the living by the venerable edwards a park of andover who adds to that power of sustained speculative thinking in a straight line which is characteristic of the whole school a wide learning in the whole field of theological literature which had not been usual among his predecessors it is a prevailing trait of this theology born of the great revival That it has constantly held before itself not only the question what is truth but also the question how shall it be preached it has never ceased to be a revival theology a bold and open breach of traditionary assumptions and habits of reasoning was made by horace bushnell this was a theologian of a different type from his new england predecessors he was of a temper little disposed to accept either methods or results as local tradition and inclined rather to prefer that which had been hammered out in his own anvil and yet while very free in manifesting his small respect for the logicking by syllogistic processes which had been the pride of the theological chair and even the pulpit in america and while declining the use of current phraseologies even for the expression of current ideas he held himself loyally subject to the canon of the scriptures as his rule of faith and deferential to the voice of the church catholic as uttered in the concord of testimony of holy men in all ages endowed with a poet's power of intuition uplifted by a fervid piety uttering himself in a literary style singularly rich and melodious, it is not strange that such a man should have made large contributions to the theological thought of his own and later times. In natural theology, his discourses on the moral uses of dark things, nineteen sixty nine, and his longest continuous work, On Nature and the Supernatural, eighteen fifty eight, even though read rather as prose poems than as arguments, sound distinctly new notes in the treatment of their theme in god in christ eighteen forty nine christ in theology eighteen fifty one the vicarious sacrifice eighteen sixty six and forgiveness and law eighteen forty seven and in a notable article in the new englander for november eighteen fifty four entitled the christian trinity a practical truth the great topics of the christian system were dealt with all the more effectively in the minds of thoughtful readers in this and other lands for cries of alarm in newspaper and pulpit impeachments of heresy that were sent forth but that work of his which most nearly made as well as marked an epoch in american church history was the treatise of christian nurture eighteen forty seven this with the protracted controversy that followed upon the publication of it was a powerful influence in lifting the american church out of the rut of mere individualism that had been wearing deeper and deeper from the days of the great awakening Another wholesome and edifying debate was occasioned by the publications that went forth from the college and theological seminary of the German Reformed Church, situated at Mercersburg, in Pennsylvania. At this institution was effected a fruitful union of American and German theology. The result was to commend to the general attention aspects of truth, philosophical, theological, and historical, not previously current among American Protestants. The book of Dr. John Williamson Nevin, entitled The Mystical Presence, A Vindication of the Reformed or Calvinistic Doctrine of the Holy Eucharist, revealed to the vast multitude of churches and ministers that gloried in the name of Calvinist the fact that on the most distinctive article of Calvinism they were not Calvinists at all, but Zwinglians. The Annunciation of the Standard of Doctrine of the various Presbyterian Churches excited among themselves a clamor of heresy, and the Doctrine of Calvin was put upon trial before the Calvinists the outcome of a discussion that extended itself far beyond the boundaries of the comparatively small and uninfluential german reformed church was to elevate the point of view and broaden the horizon of american students of the constitution and history of the church later generations of such students owe no light obligation to the fidelity and courage of dr nevin as well as to the erudition and immense productive diligence of his associate dr philip Schaff it is incidental to the prevailing method of instruction in theology by a course of predictions in which the teacher reads to his class in detail his own original summa theologica that the american press has been prolific of ponderous volumes of systematic divinity among the more notable of these systems are those of leonard woods in five volumes and of enoch pond of the two doctors hodge father and son of robert j breckinridge and james h thornwell and robert l dabney and the systematic theology of a much younger man dr augustus h strong of rochester seminary which has one for itself very unusual and wide respect exceptional for ability as well as for its originality of conception is the republic of god and institute of theology by elisha mulford a disciple of maurice and of the realist philosophy the thought of whose whole life is contained in this and his kindred work on the Nation how great is the debt which the church owes to its heretics is frequently illustrated in the progress of christianity in america if it had not been for the unitarian defection in new england and for the attacks from germany upon the historicity of the gospels the theologians of america might to this day have been engrossed in threshing old straw in endless debates on the fixed fate free will foreknowledge, absolute the exigencies of controversy forced the study of the original documents of the church from his entrance upon his professorship at andover in eighteen ten the eager enthusiasm of moses stuart made him the father of exegetical science not only for america but for all the english-speaking countries his not less eminent pupil and associate edward robinson later of the union seminary new york created out of nothing the study of biblical geography associating with himself the most accomplished living arabist eli smith of the american mission at beirut he made those biblical researches in palestine which have been the foundation on which all later explorers have built another american missionary dr w m thompson has given the most valuable popular exposition of the same subject in his volumes on the land and the book with the exception of dr henry clay turnbull in his determination of the site of kadesh barnea the American successors to Robinson in the original exploration of the Bible lands have made few additions to our knowledge. But in the Department of Biblical Archaeology, the work of Drs. Ward, Peters, and Hilprecht in the Mounds of Babylonia, and of Mr. Bliss in Palestine, has added not a little to the credit of the American Church against the heavy balance which we owe to the scholarship of Europe. Monumental works in lexicography have been produced by Dr. Thayer of Cambridge on New Testament Greek by professor francis brown of new york in conjunction with canon driver of oxford on the languages of the old testament and by dr sophocles of cambridge on the byzantine greek in the work of the textual criticism of the scriptures notwithstanding its remoteness from the manuscript sources of study america has furnished two names that are held in honor throughout the learned world among the recent dead ezra abbott of cambridge universally beloved and lamented and among the living caspar Rene gregory successor to the labors and the fame of Tischendorf a third name is that of the late dr isaac h hall the successful collator of syriac new testament manuscripts in those studies of the higher criticism which at the present day are absorbing so much of the attention of biblical scholars and the progress of which is watched with reasonable anxiety for their bearing on that dogma of the absolute inerrancy of the canonical scriptures which has so commonly been postulated as the foundation of protestant systems of revealed theology the american church has taken eager interest in an eminent and in some respects the foremost place among the leaders in america of those investigations into the substructure if not of the christian faith at least of the work of the system builders is held by professor w h green of princeton whose painstaking essays in the higher criticism have done much to stimulate the studies of younger men who have come out at conclusions different from his own The works of Professor Briggs of Union Seminary and Henry P. Smith of Lane Seminary have had the invaluable advantage of being commended to public attention by ecclesiastical processes and debates. The two volumes of Professor Bacon of Yale have been recognized by the foremost scholars of Great Britain and Germany as containing original contributions toward the solution of the problem of Pentateuchal analysis. The intricate critical questions presented by the Book of Judges have been handled with supreme ability by Professor Moore of Andover in his commentary on that book a desideratum in biblical literature has been well supplied by Professor Bissell of Hartford in a work on the Old Testament Apocrypha. But the magnum opus of American biblical scholarship, associating with itself the best learning and ability of other nations, is the publication, under the direction of Professor Hopt of Baltimore, of a critical text of the entire scriptures in the original languages, with new translations and notes for the use of scholars. The undeniably grave theological difficulties occasioned by the results of critical study have given rise to a novel dogma concerning the scriptures which if it may be justly claimed as a product of the princeton seminary would seem to discredit the modest boast of the venerated dr charles hodge that princeton has never originated a new idea it consists in the hypothesis of an original autograph of the scriptures the precise contents of which are now undiscoverable but which differed from any existing text in being absolutely free from error of any kind the hypothesis has no small advantage in this that if it is not susceptible of proof, it is equally secure from refutation. If not practically useful, it is at least novel, and on this ground entitled to mention in recounting the contributions of the American church to theology at a really perilous point in the progress of biblical study. The field of church history, aside from local and sectarian histories, was late in being invaded by American theologians. For many generations, the theology of America was distinctly unhistorical, speculative, and provincial. But a change in this respect was inevitably sure to come the strong propensity of the national mind toward historical studies is illustrated by the large proportion of historical works among the masterpieces of our literature whether in prose or in verse it would seem as if our conscious poverty in historical monuments and traditions had endangered an eager hunger for history no travellers in ancient lands are such enthusiasts in seeking the monuments of remote ages as those whose homes are in regions not two generations removed from the prehistoric wilderness it was certain that as soon as theology should begin to be taught to american students in its relation to the history of the kingdom of christ the charm of this method would be keenly felt we may assume the date of eighteen fifty three as an epoch from which to date this new era of theological study it was in that year that the gifted learned and inspiring teacher henry boynton smith was transferred from the chair of history in union theological seminary new york to the chair of systematic theology through his premature and most lamented death the church has failed of receiving that system of doctrine which had been hoped for at his hands but the historic spirit which characterized him has ever since been characteristic of that seminary it is illustrative of the changed tone of theologizing that after the death of professor smith in the reorganization of the faculty of that important institution it was manned in the three chief departments exegetical dogmatic and practical by men whose eminent distinction was in the line of church history The names of Hitchcock, Schaff, and Shedd cannot be mentioned without bringing to mind some of the most valuable gifts that America has made to the literature of the universal church. If to these we add the names of George Park Fisher of Yale and Bishop Hurst and Alexander V. G. Allen of Cambridge, author of The Continuity of Christian Thought, and Henry Charles Charles Lee of Philadelphia, we have already vindicated for American scholarship a high place in this department of Christian literature in practical theology the productiveness of the american church in the matter of sermons has been so copious that even for the briefest mention some narrow rule of exclusion must be followed there is no doubt that in a multitude of cases the noblest utterances of the american pulpit being unwritten have never come into literature but have survived for a time as a glowing memory and then a fading tradition the statement applies to many of the most famous revival preachers and in consequence of a prevalent prejudice against the writing of sermons it applies especially to the great methodist and baptist preachers whose representation on the shelves of libraries is most disproportionate to their influence on the course of the kingdom of christ of other sermons and good sermons printed and published many have had an influence almost as restricted and as evanescent as the utterances of the pulpit improvisator if we confine ourselves to these sermons that have survived their generation or won attention beyond the limits of local interest or of sectarian fellowship the list will not be unmanageably long in the early years of the nineteenth century the unitarian pulpits of boston were adorned with every literary grace known to the rhetoric of that period the lustre of channing's fame has outshone and outlasted that of his associates and yet these were not stars of hardly less magnitude the two wares father and son the younger buckminster whose singular power as a preacher was known not only to wandering hearers but to readers on both sides of the ocean gannett and dewey these were among them and in the next generation henry w bellows thomas Starr king and james freeman clark nobody of clergy of like size was ever so resplendent with talents and accomplishments the names alone of those who left the unitarian pulpit for a literary or political career sparks everett bancroft emerson ripley palfrey upham among them are a constellation by themselves to the merely literary critics those earnest preachers such as lyman and edward beecher griffin serrano dwight wayland and kirk who felt the call of god to withstand in boston this splendid array of not less earnest men were clearly inferior to their antagonists but they were successful A few years later the preeminent american writer of sermons to be read and pondered in every part of the world was horace bushnell as the great popular preacher whose words caught burning from his lips rolled around the world in a perpetual stream was henry ward beecher widely different from either of those and yet in an honorable sense successor to the fame of both was philip brooks of all american preachers most widely beloved and honored in all parts of the church of living preachers whose sermons have already attained a place of honor in libraries at home and abroad, the name of Bishop F. D. Huntington stands among the foremost, and those who have been charmed by the brilliant rhetoric and instruction from the copious learning of his college classmate, Dr. Richard S. Stores, must feel it a wrong done to our national literature that these gifts should be chiefly known to the reading public only by occasional discourses and by two valuable studies in religious history, instead of by volumes of sermons perhaps no american pulpits have to-day a wider hearing beyond the sea than two that stand within hearing distance of each other on new haven green occupied by theodore t munger and newman smith the pulpit of plymouth church brooklyn has not ceased since the accession of lyman abbott to wield a wide and weighty influence less wide but in some respects more weighty than in the days of his famous predecessor by reason of a well-deserved reputation for biblical learning and insight and for candor and wisdom in applying scriptural principles to the solution of current questions The early american theology was as we have seen a rhetorical and not merely scholastic theology a theology to be preached in like manner the american pulpit in those days was distinctly theological like a professor's chair one who studies with care the pulpit of today and those volumes that seem to command the widest and most enduring attention will find that it is to a large extent apologetic addressing itself to the abating of doubts and objections to the christian system or recognizing the existing doubts, urging the religious duties that are nevertheless incumbent on the doubting mind. It has ceased to assume the substantial soundness of the hearer in the main principles of orthodox opinion, and regards him as one to be held to the church by attraction, persuasion, or argument. The result of this attitude of the preacher is to make the pulpit studiously and even eagerly attractive and interesting. This virtue has its corresponding fault. The American preacher of today is in little danger of being dull, his peril lies at the other extreme his temptation is rather to the feebleness of extravagant statement and to an overstrained and theatric rhetoric such as some persons find so attractive in the discourses of dr talmage and others find repulsive and intolerable a direction in which the literature of practical theology in america is sure to expand itself in the immediate future is indicated in the title of a recent work of that versatile and useful writer dr washington gladden applied christianity the salutary conviction that political economy cannot be relied on by itself to adjust all the intricate relations of men under modern conditions of life that the ethical questions that arise are not going to solve themselves automatically by the law of demand and supply that the gospel and the church and the spirit of christ have somewhat to do in the matter has been settling itself deeply into the minds of christian believers the impression that the questions between labor and capital between sordid poverty and overgrown wealth where old-world questions of which we of the new world are relieved is effectually dispelled thus far there is not much history to be written under this head but somewhat of prophecy it is now understood and felt in the conscience that these questions are for every christian to consider and for those undertaking the cure of souls to make the subject of their faithful laborious professional study The founding of professorships of social ethics and the theological seminaries must lead to important and speedy results in the efficiency of churches and pastors in dealing with this difficult class of problems. But whatever advances shall be made in the future, no small part of the impulse toward them will be recognized as coming from, or rather through, the inspiring and most Christian humanitarian writings and the personal influence and example of Edward Everett Hale. End of chapter twenty one, part one.